Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. The Peter Schiff Show. Today's episode of the Peter Schiff Show podcast is sponsored by NetSuite, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. You can schedule a free product tour right now at netsuite.com gold. But the big story of the day, and actually of the entire weekend, wasn't gold, but silver, the other precious metal, Heavy demand, retail demand, not just today, again, all weekend long, sparked by the Reddit Brigade, the Raiders, uh, Wall Street bets. As I discussed on Friday's podcast about the Reddit riders now riding silver instead of simply piling into heavily shorted stocks, we had a lot of buying in silver physical silver over the weekend. You know, there are a lot of stories about some of the bigger dealers that were running out of silver. They had posts on their websites that they're out of inventory. And so this led a lot of people, I guess, in the chat rooms to think, you know, they're, they're already running out of silver. Remember, these online retailers, uh, they just aren't going to sell silver if they can't call their wholesaler and buy it because they have to buy it from somebody else. They're not just sitting on a bunch of inventory. They just act as a dealer. And so they go and they buy wholesale and then they turn around and sell retail. Well, if the wholesalers are closed because it's a weekend and they're getting all these orders coming in online uh, over the weekend, they're not going to fill them and they're not going to take that exposure of quoting a price when they don't even know what it's going to cost them to buy the merchandise. So I'm sure that a lot of these companies that were out of silver over the weekend were able to fill some of those orders on Monday, although not all of them. I know from what happened at Shift Gold today that some of our wholesalers did in fact run out of supply, but that didn't mean that we weren't able to meet the demand because we have other wholesaler relationships that we were able to turn to so that everybody who called Shift Gold today to buy silver got their order filled. Now, I can say that the premiums that we're paying now to buy silver over spot for the bars and the coins, they are higher than they normally are. And that is because of a sudden rush in demand because you have a lot of people that were never buying silver all of a sudden buying it. In fact, at Shift Gold, 
it was a record day for new customers. We had a lot of people buying that had never bought from us before. I mean, most of our business tends to be repeat business where customers that have been buying gold and silver from us buy some more. Uh, But today, it was a lot of people who have never done business with us buying for the first time. And these are a lot of the people that are learning about it now uh, from the chat rooms. And also, we had a very low average order size. So people are, it's a lot of orders, a lot of individual orders, but not quite as much silver. Although there were some big orders in there, it was a higher concentration of smaller buyers. So first time buyers who have never bought from from Shift Gold and have never bought gold or silver. And so when that happens, obviously the prices are going to go up because you have to allocate the supply. And the way you do that is you let price increase. And probably a lot of people who would normally buy silver may not have wanted to join the rush. They're probably a little bit more experienced and they want to wait a little bit for the dust to settle because there's a good chance that we're going to back and fill and the price of silver will come down. In fact, we almost hit $30 today in the futures market. I think we got a little bit above 29 and a half in the spot market. That was up about two and a half dollars on the day, which is a very, very big move for silver. Um, I mean, it's not unprecedented, but it's very rare. Uh, By the time the market closed, though, we were well off those highs up about a dollar and a half. Again, still a very big day for silver. Really a typical day for gold. Gold only settled up about 12, 13 dollars, which is a normal day for gold. I mean, a normal up day, but it's nothing weird. I mean, if you saw gold up $12, uh, the most I think I saw it up was not even quite $20. So it wasn't a particularly noteworthy day in the gold market, despite the big rise in silver. And we did have a big move in the mining stocks. But if you look beyond the silver stocks, it was no big deal. I mean, some of the silver stocks were up 20, 30% right out of the gate. And that was because a lot of these inexperienced traders just put in market orders over the weekend to buy some of these silver stocks. And so, of course, you have all these people trying to buy at the market at one time. Well, the price is going to be a lot higher. And so there was some selling as a result of that. But these stocks still finished with very, very big gains. But if you look at the overall index of miners, the GDX, uh, gold miners, There, you were only up 3.4% on the day. GDXJ, uh, better on the day. The juniors enjoying a little bit more of the speculation. And also, probably, they have smaller volume. So if we have a rush of people trying to buy gold stocks, the big stocks that are in the GDX that have a lot more volume, it's not as easy to move them. But if a lot of money all of a sudden comes into the junior sector where you have uh, smaller companies, it's easier for a rush of buying to push up the price. So the GDXJ was up almost 6%, five and three quarters. So a big day, but I mean, I've seen plenty of days like this over the past year. So really everything was concentrated in the silver itself and in the silver stocks. In fact, I think one of the reasons that gold may have had some headwinds today is a lot of people do spread these metals. And I think there were people who were probably long gold and short silver, and they're getting squeezed a bit because now that silver is kind of breaking out on a chart, 
and it looks more bullish, I bet you had some of these traders that wanted to square off those positions and then they had to buy silver, which contributed to this big run up in the price, but they also had to sell gold to flatten out that trade. And so that would have put some selling pressure on gold and that might be why gold uh, didn't enjoy a bigger bounce in sympathy with what was going on in, uh, in the price of silver. So maybe we'll catch up uh, over the next several days or several weeks, there might be some more buying into, uh, into gold. But as far as the advice that I would give people at the moment, given that we have had a big run up in the price of silver, is maybe you wanna be a little bit more cautious with your silver buys. I mean, $30 an ounce is a bit of resistance, and I don't necessarily think we're gonna move through that level like a hot knife through butter. I mean, this is not gonna be like GameStop uh, where you can send this stock up from whatever it was, $10, $20 up to 500. Uh, As I said in the last podcast, the Reddit brigade just doesn't have the firepower to really do that. But alternatively, this is a real market. And everybody who is buying silver, I believe, is going to make money if they hold it. Now, some people who maybe are not experienced, if they're buying maybe the SLV, because that's they're pushing that, maybe people are buying that in a brokerage account. If we do get a 2 or $3 pullback, which would not be surprising at all uh, for the silver market, but some people who have never been in the silver market uh, may be discouraged by the fact that it wasn't a rocket ship. Uh, and they may decide to sell for a loss. But I think even the people who rushed in at the market and bought and paid $29.50 for their silver, if they just forget about it and tune out some of the noise and still own that silver in a year or two or five, I think they're going to be very happy that they bought it. I think they're going to make a lot of money. And what they should do is look for opportunities to buy a pullback. If we get a correction uh, from this spike, look to add to their position over time. I think that is one of the real good things about this whole uh, chat chat line, Reddit, uh, Wall Street bets concentration on silver is that now a lot of people who never really knew about silver, never understood it as a metal, as a, as a monetary metal, as an industrial metal, never really considered buying it. Now you have a lot of new silver buyers. I mean, maybe a lot of them are smaller. I mean, some of them are certainly not. And this is focusing a lot of attention on silver. So maybe some of the institutional investors who now are reading all these news stories and hearing about all these small guys uh, buying silver, that may prompt them to do a little research on their own. And this could be the beginning of something that could really snowball and a lot of new buyers could come into the market maybe sooner than otherwise would have been the case. And as I said on the last podcast, I don't think the mother of all short squeezes is going to be accomplished by Reddit, you know, Wall Street bets. I think there is going to be a massive short squeeze in gold and silver, silver in particular, eventually. But I don't think that it's starting now unless... This is an immediate catalyst for bigger players to enter the market. My gut is that that's not the case, but it will happen. And when it does happen, silver is going to go to the moon, but it's not when you're expecting it. It's not like it's going to happen right away because people are talking about it in a chat room. In fact, a lot of people at Wall Street Bets have already figured out that they can't 
squeeze the shorts in silver, that it's too big a market. And they're actually advising people not to buy silver. They're saying it's a trap. Uh, Don't buy it because we can't do the squeeze. Of course, it's a good investment. People shouldn't buy it, not simply to squeeze the shorts. They should buy it because it's something that you should be long. People should own silver. But now a lot of people are speculating that what's happening is that other people who may already be long silver are pretending that it's Wall Street bets that's going to do to silver what they did to GameStop because they're trying to get other people to buy silver so they can sell it. In other words, they're creating a phony pump that they can dump into. They're trying to pretend that a big wave of buying is coming led by the Robin Hood raiders from Reddit and Wall Street bets when in reality, it's just some other silver longs that are generating that phony hype so that they can sell. In fact, I've even read that some people are speculating that it's Melvin Capital because they, I think, are a large holder of SLV. And so what people are saying is, hey, Melvin, spreading this rumor that we're all going to start buying silver and they're hoping that we do start buying silver and raise the money to buy silver by selling our GameStop stock, which helps Melville too well. If people sell GameStop in order to raise money to buy SLV, well, that lets Melvin off the hook because it puts downward pressure on their GameStop short, but also all this money going into SLV pushes up the price of SLV, which enables Melvin to sell in to that rally and then hopefully buy back at a later date once the price sells off. But that doesn't undermine the very strong investment case to be made for silver at the current price and for these silver mining stocks. So this is a much better investment for uh, the people who are trading on Robinhood than buying GameStop or AMC or American Airlines or whatever these stocks that they're buying because they're buying stocks that are in a lot of trouble. Now, of course, this is very advantageous for certain individuals. Yes, it's bad for the hedge funds that were short stocks like GameStop. But remember, there were also uh, funds that were long. There were likely pension funds or maybe even some hedge funds or mutual funds that were sitting on this stock. Maybe they bought the stock at a higher price. They thought they were bottom fishing. Maybe they thought there was some value there. They didn't realize it was a value trap. Uh, they didn't do their homework and you know they didn't do it right. Uh, and they, they bought the stock. These guys have a get out of jail free card. I mean, it's like winning the lottery. You know, you've got a bunch of this uh, GameStop in your portfolio. You're just holding this big loss. You haven't uh, realized it yet. And next thing you know, the stock goes up, you know, 10x, 20x, and it's like a gift from the trading gods, right? So a lot of these people are now able to sell their stock. You know, I'm, I'm reading about a lot of these companies now, uh, like AMC or American Airlines, that have been selling stock now and raising cash, and now they can pay back their bondholders. So some of the creditors in these companies that might have taken a big haircut in bankruptcy, now they're getting made whole thanks to the Reddit riders coming to the rescue. Now, maybe these guys didn't realize that in trying to stick it to the hedge funds, they were rewarding some other big players that they maybe didn't intend to reward, but there are going to be a lot of winners in this short squeeze, but the big losers are going to be the shorts that were forced to cover 
but those are the big hedge funds. And, and those guys, you know, I, I don't feel sorry for them. I mean, that's par for the course. I mean, there's nothing is risk-free, right? You, you get short, a short squeeze is always a risk. You know, maybe this one came out of left field. You know, it wasn't exactly what they expected. But then again, you know, you got to expect the unexpected. I mean, that's that's life, right? Some things happen. Murphy's Law, right? Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. You know, this went wrong. So they're going to lose some money. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The people who unfortunately are going to end up losing a lot of money, the most money, are these small investors who are buying into these stocks at these inflated prices. Because it's not just the short covering that's driving the market up. It's a lot of these small guys in these chat rooms at Wall Street bets who are buying this stock and they are enabling everybody else to sell, including probably some of the other sophisticated people that got in on organizing the pump that were probably disguising themselves as little investors looking to get revenge on the big hedge funds. They were probably sowing the seeds of this rally and they knew it was a pump and dump and they were dumping after the pump uh, proved to be successful. Now we'll see if Robinhood, the company, ends up being a casualty here or ends up somehow being a beneficiary. I mean, a lot of people obviously are quite upset at Robinhood for shutting down trading in these stocks. Now, actually, you know, a lot of people may have been done a favor uh, by Robinhood. Maybe that wasn't the motivation, but to the extent that people were prevented from overpaying for stocks, that probably saved them from a lot of losses. So it probably was a blessing in disguise. But again, what people have to remember about Robinhood is that the customer is not the retail guy with an account because those guys are trading for free. So you have to realize when, when you're getting something for nothing, there's a catch. There's no free lunch. Robinhood is a business. It's not a charity. They have to make money. And if they're letting you trade for free, well, then how are they keeping the lights on? How are they paying the bills? What's in it for them? Well, what's in it for them is they take those orders and they sell them to hedge funds that derive value from them. What's the value? Well, they get to take the other side of the trade. They get to sell what you're buying and make a profit. Plus, they also get the information. They probably like to know what's being bought, what the retailers are buying, so they can figure out how to sell it to them at an inflated price and how to make a profit. So they're the real customers. The real customers are these hedge funds that may have put pressure on Robinhood, to not put through these orders, or at a minimum, they just refuse to buy them anymore. Hey, we don't want those orders. We're not going to buy your orders to buy GameStop. Well, then how are they going to make money? They just can't keep you know, trading for free and then having to pay and lose money on every trade. And I have a feeling that they lost a lot of money during this, uh, this whole situation. And so to, to basically stop the bleeding, they had to impose these trading limits. But to the extent that all this information comes out, um, 
then that may really damage their reputation and their brand. You know, they're raising more and more money. They were hoping for an eventual IPO. I'm, I would imagine that this would at minimum put that on hold for quite some time. But of course, what it is doing is emboldening these regulators to think, aha, we need more regulation. We need to get involved. We need more government. When, as I explained in my last couple of podcasts, that is the last thing we need. It's because of all the government that so many small investors have no professional help and are therefore more vulnerable to be taken in by cons like this. And the solution is not even more government. The solution is to recognize the damage that government has already done and start rolling back all those rules and regulations that make it so expensive for legitimate investment professionals to work with small investors take away all those rules and regulations and allow these guys to get some help so that they can build a much better portfolio and will not be so vulnerable uh, to these type of internet schemes. But of course, the government will never recognize themselves as the problem when they only see themselves as the solution. And the more they try to solve the problems, the more they compound them and make them worse. If you're a business owner, you don't need me to tell you that running a business is tough, but you might be making it even harder on yourself than necessary. Don't let QuickBooks or spreadsheets slow you down anymore. It's time to upgrade to NetSuite so you can stop paying for multiple systems that don't give you the information that you need and more importantly, that don't give it to you when you need it. So ditch the spreadsheets and the old software that you've outgrown. Now is the time to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. It's the number one cloud business system out there. NetSuite gives you visibility and control over all your financials. I'm talking about human resources, inventory, e-commerce, and more. Everything you need all in one place instantly. So whether you're doing a million or a hundred million in revenue, you can save time and money with NetSuite. Now's the time to join the over 24,000 companies that are already using NetSuite right now. So let NetSuite show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com slash gold. You can schedule a free product tour right now. Just go to netsuite.com slash gold. That's netsuite.com slash gold. And while I'm talking about buying physical gold and silver, you know, I've been meaning to talk about uh, numismatics again and these rare coins and collectible coins I've gotten a lot of emails about them and I just haven't uh, had time to talk about it or maybe I didn't see uh, a reason but now it seems like it's uh, a good time to have that discussion because I'm sure a lot of these precious metals newbies right who are foraying into the physical market for the first time when they call up some of these dealers Inevitably, the salesman tries to push the customer into buying a rare coin or a collectible type of coin or something that supposedly has some extra value uh, way beyond the, the melt value of the, the metal that is, that is in that coin. And the reason that these gold and silver salesmen do this is because they all work on commission. And the markups in these so-called numismatic coins are maybe 10 times as high or more than the markup in a bullion coin. So if somebody were to buy $10,000 worth of bullion silver coins, right? Just 
uh, regular, no numismatic, not collectible, not rare, just regular uh, coins. Maybe the broker will make two or three hundred dollars in, in in a commission, maybe a little more, but maybe it's two or three hundred dollars. And then that's the total commission for the firm. So the salesman's going to get a fraction of that. Maybe he's going to get 30, 40 percent of that. But if he can talk you into putting your ten thousand dollars into these, uh, you know, so-called numismatic coins, the commission may be two or three thousand dollars, maybe more out of your ten thousand. So a lot more money goes into the pocket of the salesman, but it comes out of your pocket. And the reason I keep saying supposed uh, numismatics is because they're not really rare because there's, there's, there's a great supply. Real legitimate uh, coin collectors are not interested in these coins because they're not rare enough. There's just too many of them and they're not in quite good enough condition. But yes, there is a limited quantity of these coins. And yeah, they, they are generally going to be older. They could be 50 years old or 100 years old. And they are going to have some value that is in excess of their melt value, but not nearly as much as these coin dealers are pretending. And clearly, even if they are more valuable, that doesn't mean that the markup should be so much higher. And the reason is because there's a lot more competition. When you're trying to buy a normal bullion coin and you're shopping around, everybody is quoting you the price. But on these numismatic coins, not everybody has the identical inventory. And so it's not nearly as competitive a market. And a lot of the markups are hidden inside the price of the coin. When you're just marking up over spot and it's a bullion coin, it's pretty transparent how much the, the commission is. But in these rare coins, it's harder for people to recognize how much they're paying the salesman. And they come up with all sorts of clever explanations for why you need it. You know, because, uh, you know, Roosevelt confiscated gold in 1933. And so if you buy these rare coins, you know, you, they won't be able to confiscate these and they try to scare you or they'll tell you that these coins are going to do better in a bull market. If silver or gold goes up, these coins are going to go up more. This is all a bunch of nonsense. They're just trying to sell you on these overpriced coins because that's where they make the big bucks. They don't make a lot of money selling bullion. They don't even want to sell bullion. In fact, what most of these firms do when they advertise bullion, it's just a classic bait and switch. They advertise low cost bullion, right? 1% over spot or whatever they're doing. They, they advertise it really, really cheap just to get the phone to ring, just to get you to inquire. And then once they've lured you in, right, with the bait of a really good deal on a bullion coin, that's when you get the hard sell. Oh, what do you want those coins for? This is much better. You're going to make a lot more money buying this numismatic coin, buying these rare coins, you know, than you're going to make buying that bullion coin. And that's the switch. So they, they hook you in, they dangle that bait in front of you of buying cheap gold coins or cheap silver coins that they have no intention of selling you. And then once they got you on the line, they reel you in, uh, with uh, the numismatic coins. So ignore all that. In fact, I think if any of these coin dealers tries to sell you a numismatic coin, just hang up the phone. In fact, if you just deal with Shift Gold, you're never even going to be tempted. Nobody at Shift Gold is ever going to suggest that you buy anything rare, anything numismatic. And the bottom line is I'm recommending that people buy gold and silver 
as a store of value as an inflation hedge. I am not advocating that people become coin collectors. If you want to become coin collectors, if that's your thing, if you want to build up a coin collection, fine. That's a totally different animal than what I'm talking about. Because buying a rare silver coin is like buying a rare baseball card or a samurai sword or, you know, Chinese ceramics or, you know, whatever's collectible, a work of art, a painting, a sculpture, right? You're buying something that's rare, right? You're not buying gold or silver when you're buying a legitimate rare coin. Just like when you're buying a baseball card, you're not making an investment in paper just because the baseball card is written on paper. If you wanted to invest in paper, you wouldn't buy rare baseball cards, right? You just buy the paper, you buy lumber, right? You buy trees or something like that. You're not going to buy a baseball card. Like, you know, you could buy antique furniture, but that's not an investment in wood. The furniture is made out of wood, but you're not investing in lumber when you're buying this antique, uh, a chair that happens to be made of wood. The wood is irrelevant to the value of the chair. And that's the same thing with a real rare coin. You could buy a rare coin, let's say a gold coin, you could pay a million dollars for a gold coin that has an ounce of gold in it. Does it make a difference what happens to the price of gold when you paid a million dollars for the coin and you only have you know, $1,800 worth of gold? No, the price of gold is irrelevant to the value of that coin. What's relative to the value of that coin is the supply and demand of that coin. How many collectors want to buy it versus how many collectors that own it want to sell it and how badly do the collectors who don't have it want it, right? Now, the the other thing that you can argue is that to the extent that there is a big demand, wealthy people, very, very wealthy people can store a lot of value in a very, very small quantity, right? If you have a rare gold coin that's worth a million dollars, well, you'd have to have a lot of bullion coins to get a million dollars. So if you want to have a lot of value concentrated in a very small place, then keeping some of your wealth in rare coins could make sense. But when you're talking about your average guy who maybe has, you know, $10,000 to invest, $50,000, $100,000, you know, you don't have to worry about having too much gold or silver. You have plenty of places to keep it. You are not in the area where you need to have a, a, a way to really concentrate large amount of money in a very small area. And of course, the problem there is you've got these massive spreads too that you're not gonna have with bullion. So if you wanna invest in gold and silver, you wanna hedge against inflation, you want real money, the key is to buy as much gold and silver as you can for your money. That means you buy bullion coins and bars and you buy them close to spot. And that means you try to buy larger if you can, you don't like, you want to buy a one ounce coin. You don't want to buy 10, 10 ounce coins because then when you add up the cost, that one ounce of gold, when you buy 10, one tenth ounce coins, that one ounce of gold ends up costing you a lot more money uh, than buying uh, just one full ounce. What I would do is I would buy the one ounce coins. And then if you want, hey, I need some smaller denominations for barter, for transaction, that's where silver comes in. You could buy yourself some silver instead of buying these fractional gold coins. Now, I mean, if you're buying a lot of gold and you want to have a small percentage of it in these fractional coins, you can do that. But you shouldn't have a large percentage in those coins because then you end up getting less gold. You want to get as much gold and silver as you can for the money. 
So you want to buy bigger and you want to avoid all of the um, uh, the numismatic or collectibles or anything that's rare or anything that's mint condition or anything that's proof or any of this stuff. These are all just a bunch of things that salesmen tell you in order to overcharge you for your gold and silver. Of course, what would be even worse than buying collectible or rare coins as a hedge against inflation would be buying Bitcoin or any other crypto uh, currency for the same purpose because Bitcoin or any of the cryptocurrencies are not a hedge against anything. They are gambling. That's all they are. I mean, the what's happening with GameStop and a lot of these stocks simply shines a light on that whole thing in that more and more people are willing to buy things simply because the price is going up. They're willing to overlook the fact that there is no inherent value in what they're buying, but the price is going up and that is the reason they're buying. It's because they believe the price will continue to go up. You know, I've talked to a lot of people too that somehow think that, well, you know, can't the price of GameStop just go up forever? I mean, why would it have to stop going up? I mean, which shows you uh, how little a lot of people who are buying uh, the stock know about the stock market. No, it can't just keep going up. I mean, yes, in theory, if none of the people who are buying GameStop stock, if none of those people sell, then maybe the price will never go down. But if nobody ever sells the stock, how does anybody derive any value from owning it? If you simply have a brokerage account and you point to your statement and you have all this money in GameStop, well, what good is it if you never sell? It only matters when you try to sell. The problem is once people try to sell, there's nobody to buy. I mean, right now you have shorts who are covering. Well, eventually the shorts are going to be finished covering. And, you know, you have people who are trying to squeeze them out who are buying. But once that's over, nobody is going to buy the stocks at those inflated prices who is looking at them as an actual investment. So eventually the market has to implode. And even if the investors don't sell the stock, the company will. The company is staring at this market price and they can issue stock that they know is overpriced. They can sell it into the market and get cash. So that's going to drive the price down. Eventually, if there isn't enough new buying, the company itself will crush the market for its own shares by selling stock to capitalize on the fact that the shares are so overpriced. So the whole thing has to collapse, but it's the exact same dynamic with Bitcoin. You have all of these people who have all this Bitcoin who have never sold any of it that are convinced that they're going to be rich because they believe the price of Bitcoin is going to keep on rising. The only people who are going to make money in Bitcoin are the people who are selling just like the only people who are going to make money in GameStop are the people who are selling. Now, some people who bought it, yes, they only make money because they've sold it. The people who hodl it, the people who buy it and don't sell it, even if temporarily they're making money on paper, none of that matters because at the end of the day, the market's going to crash and they're just going to be stuff holding a bunch of worthless paper. The problem with Bitcoin is there's nothing worthless to hold because there is no paper. You'll just have a worthless string of numbers uh, digitally that nobody, nobody wants to buy. And interestingly enough, you know, Elon Musk came out again last night and said some more positive things about Bitcoin. Only this time, it really didn't move the market 
very much. In fact, Bitcoin had pretty much retraced the entirety of the Musk bounce, right? It went from like 32,000 and change up to about 38,000. Well, last night before Musk's comments, and he, he was on Clubhouse late on Sunday night, I guess it's an audio-based social media app. I just read the articles about his appearance on Clubhouse and I read you know, quotes of what he said while he was there and very positive comments about Bitcoin. I mean, more so before it was just, you know, kind of ambiguous tweets. He didn't really say anything. He just, you know, again, put the the, the hashtag Bitcoin in his bio on Twitter. And, you know, so he didn't really come out and say that he liked it or he didn't like it. But this time he actually said that he likes it. He's a fan of Bitcoin. He, he thinks it's on the verge of uh, being adopted by institutions and all that. And he says, yeah, I wish I had bought some when I first heard about it, which of course anybody could say that. I mean, anybody wishes they bought it, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, all the people that initially looked at it and dismissed it because they understood that it was fundamentally worthless, like Musk or like me, anybody who dismissed it initially, yes, can regret with the benefit of hindsight, having not bought it anyway, just buying something that's worthless and say, you know what? I know it's worthless, but I think a bunch of other people won't. They're going to be conned. They're going to buy it. And this worthless thing is going to go way up. And so if I buy it now, I could cash out and sell it to all the people who don't know it's worthless and are willing to pay a much higher price than what I paid knowing it's worthless. But you know, that's easier said than done. But the interesting thing, or a couple of interesting things about Musk's comment is that while it did move the price of Bitcoin back up from where it was at about 32,000, the highest it really got was about 34 and change. And as I'm speaking, we're at about 33,700. So nowhere near the 38,000 that we got to on the first Musk pump. And I was looking at the premiums today, again, in the Grayscale Trust, and for much of the day, the premium was less than 1%. So this is not causing a lot of people to buy Bitcoin, despite the fact that Elon Musk is now one of the newest Bitcoin pumpers, and he's the richest man in the world. He's got a huge following, yet uh, people are not following him into Bitcoin. Now, one of the things he did say, though, that I thought was interesting is he did acknowledge that he's late to the party, right? He's saying that, you know, I should have bought it eight years ago and, you know, I realize I'm late to the party. Now, if you realize you're late to the party, that means you think the party's almost ending. You know, you have a lot of these Bitcoin pumpers now that are trying to convince people who are buying at 34,000 that they're getting in near the bottom. Well, clearly, if Musk thinks he's late to the party, he's not near the bottom. He's not claiming, hey, I'm still early because Bitcoin is going to a million. He is talking about being late to the party, which he clearly is. If he were to join the party, he would be very late. And you generally don't want to join a party where you're late, at least not when it comes to investing. You want to be there before the party gets started so you can sell it to the people that get there late. So I don't think, even though Musk is talking positively about Bitcoin, I really don't think he intends to be buying a lot of Bitcoin, you know, and that is what's out there, right? That's what's in on the internet in the chat rooms. Oh my God, now Elon Musk is going to start buying Bitcoin. He's going to buy it himself. He's going to buy it 
for Tesla. He's going to buy it for SpaceX, right? He's going to get, and he's going to get all these other companies because he's so smart. And, you know, if Elon blesses it, well, everybody else is going to buy it. Look, first of all, if Elon Musk really were going to buy Bitcoin, and the same thing would apply to Ray Dalio, who has now made some positive statements about Bitcoin. I mean, conditional, right? He's, he's, He's like, you know, hedging everything he's saying. He's not that enthusiastic, less so than uh, than than Musk. But let's say uh, Ray Dalio or Elon Musk, they were actually thinking about buying Bitcoin in a meaningful way. Right. I mean, a, a substantial amount because these are big guys. So to move the needle, I mean, they got to put some serious money in into Bitcoin. Right. To, to make it to make a difference in their net worth. You're talking about multi, multi-billionaires, right? So they obviously would need to buy a lot of Bitcoin, which of course is what people are thinking, right? Oh, these guys are going to buy a lot of Bitcoin. Well, if you really are a smart investor and you want to buy a lot of Bitcoin, do you want to go out there publicly and start telling everybody how much you love Bitcoin? Because if you do that, you are going to push up the price. Why would you want to push up the price of something that you don't own yet and that you want to buy? You wouldn't. If Musk or Dalio really wanted to buy Bitcoin, they would either say nothing about it at all. They would just keep quiet until they bought all the Bitcoin they wanted. Or if they wanted to be a little bit more devious, they would publicly trash Bitcoin. Oh, it's, you know, they would, they would start sounding like Peter Schiff. You know, a lot of people accuse me of doing that. People think that I'm talking down Bitcoin. I'm saying bad things about Bitcoin because I want to buy it. I want to push down the price so I can get more. Now, I'm not actually doing that, right? I don't want Bitcoin. I don't own any Bitcoin. But if people can understand that and apply it to me, why can't they apply it to Elon Musk or Ray Dalio? If these guys really wanted to buy Bitcoin, they would be trying to talk down the price, not trying to talk up the price. So that means one or two things. Either A, they already own all the Bitcoin they want to own or the majority of it. And so they're okay if it goes up because they're already in. Or they're just not going to buy it at all. But either way, it's not going to push up the future price of Bitcoin because they're not going to be buying it, right? Because they either already own it or they have no intention of owning it. Now, you might think, okay, well, if Elon Musk isn't going to be buying Bitcoin, why is he spending so much time talking about Bitcoin? Well, I think one reason is it gets him a lot of press. It keeps him in the news, right? I mean, and, you know, it's action on his Twitter account, right? He, he, he gets people all revved up and engaged. Maybe he enjoys playing with his followers, right? But I actually think there's a more profound reason than that. You know, there is an old saying when it comes to people who live in glass houses and not throwing stones. Well, I think the same thing applies to people who live in bubbles who throw pins, right? Because... The biggest bubble probably in the stock market, as far as the most widely held stock that is the most overpriced, would be Tesla, right? And, you know, the graveyard is full of shorts who have been forced to cover in Tesla because they did fundamental analysis and they determined this stock was overpriced and they shorted it and it kept going up. And to minimize their losses, they had to cover. And as they cover, you know, they have to buy. And in fact, Elon Musk himself was really making fun of the shorts. I mean, in fact, he on his website, he started selling these 
Tesla short shorts, were pairs of shorts that he was actually selling as merchandise to, to make fun of the shorts because he knew that there were all these shorts in Tesla. And so Tesla is a bubble. I don't care uh, how high it's gone or you know how much higher it might go before the bubble pops. It will eventually pop. That doesn't mean that Tesla is going to go out of business. It probably won't. It doesn't mean that Tesla's cars aren't any good. I mean, there's probably going to be a place for Tesla in the global automobile market, and it may even have a pretty large place. But is it going to have a market capitalization that exceeds, you know, 40 or 50 percent of the entire automobile market cap of all the companies in Germany and, and, and Japan, you know, all over the world. I mean, Tesla is going to be this huge company. I mean, right now it's got a market cap larger than the next 10 largest companies combined. No, there's not a chance that that's going to happen. Just like there's not a chance that GameStop is ever going to be worth the price it's trading at, that doesn't mean it can't go higher if in the short run, people are willing to pay an even higher price for an obviously overvalued stock. Now, maybe Tesla is it's less obvious that it's overpriced to a lot of people, but you know, a lot of people, once they get into Tesla, it's kind of like a cult, you know, and, and Musk is the leader of the cult. And, and so it, rationality goes out the window and it's all about Musk and his personality. And so there's a bubble there. And I think that the last thing that Elon Musk wants to happen is for bubbles to start popping. Because once they start, they may not stop. And then you go from one bubble to another, and it's like dominoes. And if the Bitcoin bubble pops, well, then maybe the Tesla bubble can't be too far off. So I think the idea for Musk is I just got to talk up every bubble so people don't notice that they're there. That's even why I think a lot of these Bitcoin guys were jumping on the GameStop uh, bubble. I mean, because they it, it's like they're comrades. They want to support all that. And again, when it comes to throwing pins, I think it would be very dangerous if Elon Musk were to actually call out Bitcoin as a bubble because he may inadvertently end up pricking his own. That's why I said, if you're living in a bubble, don't throw pins because one of those pins may inadvertently pop your own bubble, right? It might go off on a tangent, an errant trajectory, right? That's the idea, because when you live in a glass house, you don't want to throw stones because somebody might throw one back at you and now your glass house is going to break. Same thing with Bitcoin. If Musk starts talking about the nature of Bitcoin and why it's a bubble, somebody could say, well, doesn't the same thing apply to Tesla? right? So he doesn't want to ever talk about anything being a bubble. He wants to get people to stop thinking about value, stop thinking in those terms, and just focus on appreciation. Just focus on how much Bitcoin has gone up. And because it's gone up so much in the past, well, it's going to keep going up in the future. And all you doubters, all you people who have been doubting Bitcoin because it had no value, you were doing some kind of fundamental analysis, you should now all start buying Bitcoin because the appreciation proves that you were wrong to doubt it. And now you should just join the party, right? Well, the same exact logic applies to Tesla. And that is the message he's really sending. Hey, all of you analysts out there who had sell recommendations on Tesla or don't have buy recommendations, all you guys who are trying to apply a value analysis to this stock, forget about it. Just look at how much the stock has gone up. It's gone way up. 
that proves that you were wrong. And now everybody has to adopt it. Now Tesla is ready for the mainstream, all of the funds and all the professional investors that didn't want to buy it, all the mom and pop day traders uh, that were buying it, right? That just, you know, followed Elon Musk. In fact, I'm hearing people talking about that. You see, it was the little guy that was right. It was the little guy, the mom and pop investor. They're the ones that bought their Tesla shares and never sold. The hedge funds got it wrong. The professional investors got it wrong. So now it's time for those guys to join the party and buy Tesla because it's proven the little guy right. And you can't argue with the market. And the market has spoken and Tesla is going to go up forever. And so now everybody has to buy it. And so by talking about Bitcoin in that way, he's actually trying to puff up uh, Tesla shares. So I just will dismiss anything that Musk has to say about Bitcoin, knowing what his ulterior motivation may be in trying to sustain another bubble and taking the spotlight off of his own.